Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to election night 2018 happening in 2019 of January. But tonight, there is a buzz in the air that you can't measure with a million yardsticks because at midnight tonight, January 31st, the Twippy voting closes for all of you out there. So spend the next four to five hours and make sure if you haven't already, go cast your vote for your favorite pinball designer, artist, coder, layout, callouts, manufacturer, and especially your favorite pinball podcast. Now look, you know who I hope you write in, Canada's Pinball Podcast, but please go do that. The polls close at midnight tonight, and now we're going to do a little short little episode 307 of Canada's Pinball Podcast, a little extra treat for all of you guys out there that I know have gone out of your way to vote in the Twippies this year. We really, really appreciate it. Let's start the show right now. Right, it's election night. I never thought we'd get here. The final day in which you can vote in the Twippies. So make sure you go do that. Uh, also, while you're on This Week in Pinball, do me a favor, everyone. If you read that site, and if you enjoy it, and if you appreciate everything Jeff does for the community, which is give you every major thing happening in pinball with none of the drama. You don't have to weed through Pinside anymore uh, to, to see what's going on. He listens to every podcast and transcribes the interviews for you so you can you can get the juicy morsels without having to listen to, to dingbats like me for hours pontificate about pinball. That's incredible. Think about the amount of time he puts into the hobby. And so what I'm asking all of you, if you go to that site and you enjoy it, please donate to Jeff's site. I think he spends an inordinate amount of time that no one really sees or understands, and I think we all should, if we're fans of this community, um, show him some love and donate so he can continue to do that site and to make it even bigger and better. And I know he has some awesome plans for it, and I know he would love to do it even more, uh, but he's doing a lot more than than guys like me who just put on headsets and, and scream into a microphone three times a week, all right? So I, I hope you guys can find some some money in those deep pockets to do that, all right? So on this episode, we're gonna talk a little bit about some pinball news, thanks to This Week in Pinball, I just saw something ridiculous. Uh, and we're gonna read some of your emails and then I'm gonna be done because this was just meant to be a little snackable episode for all of you out there. So first things first, let's talk a little bit about the node board conversation that continues to rage on. It seems my conversation with the Black Knight has ignited a little bit of a fire and it continues to burn. And there's a debate going on and it's getting really heated. And it's kind of funny because in the middle of the debate, you've got guys like Iceman being like, what are you talking about? There's no designing for planned obsolescence. You've got the Black Knight, which used that word, which is very much an extreme word. I don't think pinball machines are designed the way an iPhone is designed to stop working in a, in a year or two. We all know when we use our cell phones how shitty the battery is come a year later. They're designed that way. I mean, I know batteries lose charge over time, but they definitely build a lot of technology uh, these days with designed obsolescence, so you buy the next version of it, right? Do we think that five to $10,000 pinball machines are designed with the same approach? I do not. I do not subscribe to that. I do not believe in that. that. Now, that is separate. I think that's like the extreme way to look at this. That is separate from us knowing 
what the long-term reliability is of the node board system of Spike 2. We don't know. It, but there are some questions, though, that I would just like to get a specific answer on. And those should not lend themselves to opinion. So one question I have, are the node boards on new Stern Spike games, are they repairable? Like, can you, 15 years from now, if one breaks and you don't have a new one, can you repair it? So I would love someone to email me in who knows that answer specifically. I would assume, yes, that they will be, that they are repairable. Is there something that's just irreparable? That's a piece of electronics? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case with these node boards. I also saw in the thread, it was interesting, uh, Roto Dave was chiming in on, one of his friends has a Batman LE. It went down and he said that his friend contacted the distributor and the distributor told him, I want nothing to do with this. I don't, don't, you know, don't come to me with that. And I don't understand that. Why would a distributor tell a customer that they're not going to help them out? That That's actually the complete opposite of what a distributor's supposed to do. So I just think that's having a shitty distributor because as I was reading that, I was in an Uber this morning because it's the, the polar vortex. I, I couldn't walk more than five feet. And I was talking to... Chris Marquette, a coin taker, because that's what I do. I wake up in the morning and I talk to distributors. No, he called me. We had a nice chat and I just asked him, hey, Chris, like, what's the deal with node boards? Like, can, um, would you replace them? And, and, and if I have a Batman and it's not broken, can I hold on? Bubba's barking. All right. Bubba's been fed and Bubba actually wanted to go out as well. So we had a little bit of an unforeseen delay there. I asked Chris if I want to replace a node board Stern will sell you them through the distributor so you can buy them even if they're not broken. So you could stock up on node boards for your game so you have peace of mind in the future. So that's one route. Now, as people have said, though, if the backboard PCU goes down, that's $1,000. That's a lot. It's a lot of money. Um, the other thing is if your node board breaks, you send back the broken one and Stern sends you a new one. And what Chris also told me is that good distributors, they stock up on these node boards and they'll usually do what they can to help out their good customers. So I just think one example of a bad distributor in New Zealand is not indicative of how most pinball distributors uh, are treating their customers. But I think this also just opened a little bit of Pandora's box of, once again, people complaining about Stern. And I give Stern shit when I think Stern should be given shit, but how can you really complain about Stern and what they're doing in terms of bringing pinball to people every year? Sure, they've created new systems, but again, I've had a Stern Spike 2 system on my Batman for an entire year. I play the game frequently, and I've had no issues. And they make thousands of games. And that's the other thing. These other manufacturers... They hardly make nearly that volume and look at the amount of problems their games have. So for the most part, we don't hear about nearly as many problems as you would think we'd hear if Stern games were really built as bad as some people would like us to believe. And that's just my take on it. And I don't want to think about 20 years from now. 20 years from now, I'll be 62 years old. God help me if what I care about 
is getting a pinball machine up and working again when I am 62 years old. I will probably be more concerned about how to pay for hopefully my kids' college tuition, which will probably by then be $100,000 a year, probably more. I, I, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So look, I think Stern will take care of their customers. I don't think we've seen many examples in which they've turned their back on their customers. All right, let's talk about Highway Pinball. You must be asking, why are we talking about Highway Pinball? Well, if you go to This Week in Pinball, you can see a game that Andrew Highway was pitching to make amongst the five to seven titles he had already promised Nate Shivers would be out by the end of like 2016. But one of those titles was Angry Birds Pinball. And what's really cool about this is somehow Jeff got possession of Highway Pinball's pitch to the manufacturers of Angry Birds. And this is really funny because we don't normally get to see a pitch deck of a company uh, sort of trying to win a license uh, to make a pinball game based on. And so here we have... A Andrew Highway, this is funny. It says a stellar combination, and it's it's Angry Birds, you know, the the fran the billion dollar franchise and pinball coming together for an incredible once in a lifetime experience. And then we see the playfield, and of course it's computer generated, but you should go look at it. It has pop up pig pop bumpers like bash targets. It's got some strange like pop bumpers that are normally where the slings are at. I'm not sure how that would work. And then it has a sort of like a a a a slingshot that looks like it comes up in between the flippers that actually fires the ball towards these two buildings or castles that are hidden behind these pigs that come up and down from the playfield. You have to just go look at it. This is probably the most complex, mechanical, ambitious machine. What looks like a simple machine, but these mechanical features are super duper complex. And I just have a question, and maybe I'll get the answer from, from, uh, from our friend Dave Sanders, but I highly doubt that Highway Pinball had mechanically figured out everything that's in this pitch. I, I think they put this together as something they were confident they could do but the one thing that keeps popping into my head is this company couldn't even manufacture the xenomorph head grabbing the ball with a tongue a simple mech a tongue coming out to magnetically grab a ball and pulling it back in to its mouth that proved to be too much for this company and yet in this, they have castles raising and lowering inside the play field, targets within those castles, a, a cannon slingshot to hit them, the Angry Bird experience in pinball form, what the world has always wanted, brought to you by a company that can't figure out how to make complex mechanisms. Here's a game filled with complex mechanisms. And I know they don't seem that complex, going up and down, rotating, but how often... Do we see stuff like this in pinball? And the other part I was thinking about it too is like, wow, like you're firing the ball all over the place that th this game would would probably have more dents and dings and chips on the play field. 
uh, than any game we know about because the ball would be bouncing off that castle if you missed the target and, and sort of smacking the play field. Uh, the, but you know what? My analysis of this machine is pointless because you could just stop at one thing. Angry Birds. How bad is that as a pinball theme? It makes absolutely no sense. And it once again goes to show these companies don't understand who buys pinball. Pinball is played by 50, 40 to 60 year old white males around the world who have game rooms and want a pinball game based upon themes that they love, the majority of which are nostalgic themes that they grew up with. Like Ben Heck said, they want to feel like kids again in their game room. Angry Birds, a mobile app game that is, you know, within the last 10 years, pretty recent, enjoyed by tons of people. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we've all played Angry Birds probably. We've all had fun with it. And Angry Birds, for what it is, is fun for what it is in the medium in which it is. It does not need nor beg nor translate very well to being a pinball machine, okay? And it just goes to show how bad their market research was to think that this would be a good idea. It is not a good idea. It is not a theme they should have ever gone after. It makes no sense to me. From the company that brought you Alien Pinball comes Angry Birds. Think about that for a minute. It's almost like Andrew just went down a dictionary and in alphabetical order, he just picked the next theme in that dictionary. So it's like Aliens after Aliens is Angry Birds. I mean, come on. How You think this is a good theme? And, and I love the way... That when pinball people pitch these major franchises, the, the, the language they use is always, we're going to bring pinball to a whole new generation. All you know, The fan base of pinball meets the fan base of Angry Birds. And then you just kind of scratch your head because you have to re- remember, what, what if you were on the receiving end of this pitch? Not only does this deck look completely... It, look, it's not the worst deck I've seen in terms of a pitch deck, but it is pretty comical. There's no way, there's nothing in here that would convince these people to ink this deal. Remember, Angry Birds people, I mean, they're 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 making motion pictures. But that being said, they do license out the Angry Birds property to put it on a million things. Uh, but, but I think they're probably much more precious when you're pitching them something that's a game. Because then you're asking uh, to, to maintain the integrity and the fun of that game of that franchise, right? They don't care if you slap it on like a lunchbox or a backpack, but when you want to make a gameplay experience based on the franchise, I bet they're much more um, dubious in making sure it's something that would would enhance or be complimentary to how popular their franchise is. So it's just stupid. It's It's like just funny that this highway, I would love to see what else highway pitched. We've heard so many rumors, but I love the, this is my favorite part of the This Week in Pinball article. So at the very bottom of, after all the pictures, it just says, it was declined. Very interesting to see though. So um, yeah, little blast from the past. Andrew Highway trying to get Angry Birds pinball. Anything else? And the other question I was like, where did, where did Jeff get this from? Who at Highway 
gave this information. And, and look, even though Highway is now defunct and bankrupt, it is still not legal to share stuff like this. Whenever you put together a pitch deck of ideas, um, there, there is a non-disclosure agreement that is still binding, I believe, when uh, you create stuff like this. So uh, that should never have been leaked out into the world. But you know what? Nobody cares. They don't, they're not going to sue over this. No, Andrew Highway can't sue anybody. But just interesting to see um, Angry Birds pinball as a potential thing. So, uh, yeah, the joke never seems to stop with Highway Pinball. So let's talk about National Pinball Day. So there is a petition out there to create a National Pinball Day every year. I think that's a cool idea. I think it's a really cool idea. I mean, there is a national day for everything. And I work in marketing. I mean, there's national, like, National Cupcake Day, National Mayonnaise Day, National Hot Dog Day, National Mustard Day, you know, National Go to Work With Your Kid Day. Every day is a national something. Now, the thing is, 95% of those days or more, nobody knows about, cares about, or gives a shit about, and media don't write about it, and consumers don't engage with it. But a National Pinball Day seems somewhat interesting. The day being suggested, though, seems kind of weird. So it is suggested that it be August 1st, which is Roger Sharp's birthday. And Roger Sharp, which we all know, we all love, we all respect, is the man to thank for pinball being where it is today. When he went in front of, what was it, Congress or Senate, and, and, and showed them that it wasn't a gambling device. It was a game of skill. And he pointed at a shot and he said, I'm going to hit that shot. And then he pointed at another and said, I'm going to hit that. And they finally saw, after all these years, it wasn't just a ram, random gambling device. It wasn't a game of chance. It was a game of skill. And that is why we have pinball the way it is today, which is awesome. And everyone knows that about Roger. Now, August 1st is Roger's birthday. It's not the day he went in front of the government to, to win them over. It's not the day the ban was lifted. So it's just his birthday. I do think they should rethink the day of this. It should be more commemorative of the actual day in which the ban on pinball was lifted. I'll give you another example. Uh, Budweiser, one of my clients, we, we celebrate Prohibition Day, the repeal day, right, of Prohibition. We don't celebrate the birthday of of. Anheuser-Busch because he lobbied for it. We celebrate the actual day in which the ban was lifted. And I think that is the date in which uh, National Pinball Day should be based on. What do you think? Pinball at gmail.com. All right. What else is going on in the world? So do, 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 do. Any more news? National Pinball Day, node boards, monsters, nothing new. Ah, uh, it's been it's been one of those weeks, man. I'm telling you, I've been working so hard. I just I just want to get this show up for you guys. So I'm going to read some of your emails. Let's go down in order. From Joe Zankis. Joe wrote, "Always love hearing Black Knight's opinion on the industry. I think Jerry will be just fine continuing to sell P3 boards. American Pinball is buying them. If Multimorphic were truly a separate company, I would say they aren't going to last." continuing going down that dumb giant LCD playfield concept. I think the future is projection mapping. He has a link to it. Did you see Highway Pinball's next game, Angry Birds? Yes, too old to be relevant, not old enough to be nostalgic. 
All right. This is not a new pitch, though. So it, it's it's I did see it. We just talked all about it. Um, look, here's the deal. I'm going to read another email, too, that goes into what somebody thinks Jerry makes alone from just sale of P3 boards on one game. And I think it's going to be pretty shocking. And maybe Jerry is laughing all the way to the bank because he's built the engine that runs a lot of games and he's well paid for that. So it doesn't matter if Multimorphic makes money or not. But it is kind of sad to me if that is the case. Knowing what he knows about pinball, shouldn't he know how to actually make a game that people want? Is that not fair? And I think I would say that to Jerry if I saw him. Just take your talents, man, and make a game that people really want. It's, it's that simple. All right, the next email is from Jeff S., the title is Super Bowl ad 2019. I watched the Stellar Artois ad and I am not a fan. I like the concept, like the tagline, and even found it effective because I remember it clearly afterwards. What I didn't like was the execution and thought that could have been more enjoyable to watch. For instance, Carrie was out of her element. She belongs in a small bar surrounded by her gal pals and with all of them drinking Cosmos and Martinis when she orders the Stella and all hell breaks loose. That would have been much better, and as a result, I predict it won't be considered seminal nor one of the best. Same comment for the dude, who belongs in a bowling alley. That could and should have been a separate ad. Seeing those two together was a no way this ad... Wait, seeing those two together was no way this would happen moment. Anyways, the ad is effective and I may be ordering Stella soon. Why not have someone playing a, the Big Lebowski pinball machine in the background and the waiter delivers and sets the beer in the playfield glass? Keep flipping. Well, Jeff, first of all, thank you. I didn't know you were an advertising creative director, but I do now. And I'll say this. The reason why the spot works is you're putting together two people that would never be together. And that's why it is effective. Uh, and I did think that was a bar that would be much more likely to be a place where Sarah, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker's character would hang out. I'm not going to talk all about it. I'll just say this. TV Guide has ranked their favorite Super Bowl ads this year. And this spot got ranked as one of the best. So I think it will work. And I hope you buy Stella for your Super Bowl parties because remember, it is for a good cause. All right. Anyway, let's go back to pinball and not talk about advertising creative decisions. I got an email. This is the one about Jerry. It's titled, Maybe Jerry is the Big Winner. And this is from Hugh. Hugh, thanks for, for writing in. He said, Kaneda, you are my favorite podcast. And all of your badgering finally got me to vote in the Twippies just for you. Well, thank you, Hugh. I definitely wouldn't have voted if you didn't keep begging for it. You deserve it. Maybe the P3 pinball system is going under, but let's look at Jerry's other products that are making money. Quote it, um... Scott Denisi, TNA uses the following P-Rock boards. Okay, so he lists five P-Rock boards that is in the game. One is for $175, one is for $45, one is for $85, and one is for $70. Okay, and then he writes, okay, so the total cost in TNA, I'm not going to go into, like, there's multiple boards. The total cost for TNA in terms of P-Rock boards, are you ready for this? $875. Assume 20% discount for volume uh, equals, 
Okay, 875. So Spooky pays $700 a machine. Assume cost of manufacture populate board is 50% of retail price. So that's $473.50. This is worst case, assuming a commercial product with razor thin margins. I'm really guessing he has a higher markup. So Jerry takes home $226.50 a machine. With 550 built machines, Jerry has taken home a cool $124,575, wait, $124,575 this year from TNA alone. Alice Cooper is now built off the P-Rock boards, guaranteeing Jerry will make more money next year. Houdini is built off the same boards, so he makes a cut on those machines. I'm guessing Oktoberfest will be built on those boards. Stern made money. I'm guessing Jerry made more profit this year than Chuck personally did. So that's a really interesting email I got. Does Jerry make on one game alone $124,000? Oh, my dinner's here. Hold on, people. All right, so dinner is in the house. Sorry, guys. This, you know, I'm doing this at a weird hour. I never do my podcast this late at night. Uh, so I just got my dinner. It's probably frozen cold, but whatever. All right, so Jerry makes $124,000. Imagine if we multiply that against Alice Cooper, which will have 500 made. That could be another 100 and something thousand dollars. Houdini, Oktoberfest. So all of a sudden, it seems like Jerry, you know, might be pulling in you know, quarter million, $300,000 a year on his parts alone, which is great. I mean, he makes the parts that make these games feasible. And so maybe he's not in dire straits because of P3 Multimorphic. But I think, again, to my point, imagine if he could also make a game that would sell a thousand units. It'd be, it'd be, that's where the real money lies. If you can sell a thousand at seven thousand dollars do the math it's way better than than those margins all right so let's go on i got an email from jerry garcia and he was just get i think he was just guessing that the most interesting man in the world will be the surprise character in the stella spot you'll just have to wait and see on that jerry i got an email from joe pinball predictions and health update chris guess i'll get in on the pinball predictions especially with another brand new company in Suncoast Pinball. The market will be beyond saturated. Within two years, there will only be two companies left, Stern and Spooky. Wow. Joe, that's a that's a bold claim. So CGC is going to go under? Jersey Jack? Uh, he writes, annual pinball sales will need to double at a minimum in order to support all the new players in the market. At the end of the day, Stern announces and ships... No other company can compete with that. Let me stop there. So, Joe, I just think that for the most part, uh, the annual pinball sales will need to double at a minimum. I don't think that. Why? Why? Spooky's doing all right right now. Um, Stern is obviously doing great right now. Jersey Jack would be doing great if they would actually just make a good game. And they would also, I think Jack's problem is, is he's scaled up so much in his factory. I think Jack probably needs to downsize his factory and get, because when you go to Jersey Jack and you go to Jersey Jack Pinball, it seems bigger than they need. And, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know about building pinball companies. 
but it seems bigger than it needs to be. And there's like so many parts just there. But the assembly line seems like such a smaller area to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. But now you're saying Chicago gaming is going to be gone. You're saying American pinball is going to be gone. You're saying Deep Root pinball, which hasn't even started yet, will be gone. Uh, who else? P3 gone? Who else is going to be gone? You know, Suncoast will be gone. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I don't. I do think there's going to be a consolidation, but I, I think there's going to be more companies than that still trying to do it. Hold on a second. Bubba, this is like really going to be disruptive. So I don't, I don't know what's wrong with Bubba tonight. He's fine. He just wants attention. His daddy's home and, a, and I'm doing a pinball podcast. His mommy's in Boston all week. So I think he just wants me to play with him. So we're going to keep going through this email because I want to get to Bubba belly rub time. So he then goes on to write, not sure if you remember, but I wrote to you about a year ago telling you that I was down 87 pounds in a 10-month period. Now, after 21 months, I'm down an additional 53 pounds, bringing my total weight loss to 140 pounds. I'm now 20 pounds lighter than I was when I, in college and the same weight when I graduated high school back in 1996. I even just got done completing the dopey challenge down in Disney World. Four races in four days, 5K, 10K, half marathon, and a full marathon for a total of 48.6 miles. My legs were shot after doing the marathon on the fourth day, but it was totally worth it, considering I would be out of breath walking up a flight of stairs two years ago. Good luck on the Twippies. You are by far the best pinball podcast out there. Thanks, Joe. First of all, Joe, Congratulations, man. That is an incredible story. It is unbelievably motivating to hear that tale of you getting your weight down, getting your life back. I, I've said it so many times on this show, health has to always come before all of this. And pinball's fun. Pinball is fun, but it's no fun playing pinball when you don't feel good. And all of us who have followed the pinball hobby over the years, we've seen people we love and care about get into situations where their health declines and then everything else is pointless. All right, so I just shoved a dental bone in Bubba's face, so hopefully that quiets him. I'm so sorry for that, but let's go back to Joe's story. Joe, just thank you so much for the Twippy vote. Thank you so much for making the decision to put your health in front of anything else and to getting into shape. You're not the only one. I have a bunch of friends that are always looking for ways to feel better. And I'm always inspired so much by people's decisions uh, to turn a page and to get in shape and to feel good, to eat good, and, and to give up all the things that make us feel crappy. And so, Joe, congratulations again from Canada's Pinball Podcast to you, my brother. I'm so happy. This is probably one of the, the greatest emails I've, I've received. I'm so happy uh, to hear about your transformation. He's still barking. Are you fucking kidding me? All right, so I've moved outside to Bubba's couch. I'm now sitting on the couch next to him. I took a picture of our situation right now, and that will be the photo for this podcast. So if you might be wondering what is going on, that is what's going on. I'm trying to calm Bubba down. All right, let me go to the next email, and this is from David. It says, are you kidding me? And he writes, here's what he says. He says, hey, Chris, are you effing kidding me with the Black Knight? I could possibly look beyond the Mala props and made up vocabulary of the guy uh, if he came across as credible. Where is your BS meter? 
You're talking with a repairman who positions himself as an industry expert. I don't own a single Stern game because the play lacks and the value blows, but there's nothing wrong with the Spike system or hardware software quality. I have viewed the code, I'm a software guy, and it's a solid platform. Planned obsolescence is bullshit. Stern is running a real business. I have a bunch of Bally Williams games and they're not bulletproof. They're great, but very fallible. You're a good interviewer, so please stick with legit guests and not ancient posers. Oh, snap, Dave, really? You're calling the Black Knight a poser? I don't think he's a poser at all. I think he knows a lot about uh, pinball more than most of us. I think he's seen a lot of pinball companies come and go. But, but this we've talked about this debate with the spike node board in the system. I, I think that it's, it is silly to get into a debate about how this thing will be in 20 years. Again, I think we need to answer the question, are these boards repairable and what will access to them look like in the future? All other debates and arguments about it are, are kind of ridiculous because you have to remember, if Stern was shipping... 10,000 games a year that were pieces of shit that would break down all the time, they'd be out of business. Let, let's not fool ourselves. They'd be out of business. Sure. Do I wish there were fuses on the boards where if something went wrong, just a fuse blew and I could pop a new one in? Absolutely. I don't know why they didn't design them that way. Probably because it's cheaper. Uh, so, you know, surface mounted LEDs. I don't think you can you repair those or is it a nightmare? A lot easier to pop in a bulb. So look, I know that people prefer Sam over Spike, but we're just gonna have to wait and see on this one. I don't, I don't, I really don't want this podcast to turn into all about node board discussions. How fucking boring would that be? All right, I got an email from Ed C. He writes, Black Knight sixty five thousand. Hey Chris, fantastic episode with the Black Knight. I just want to stop there. You see that? You see what happens? You interview someone, and one person is like, "This guy's an effing joke," and the next guy is like, "I loved it." I, I, this is just, just goes to show how hard it is to please people in the pinball hobby. I can't even please them consistently with my choice of guests. Imagine trying to please them making a pinball machine, right? Where there's so much more to complain about. He then writes, um, he's, he's got such a great insight and knowledge about the hobby. Unfortunately, He's absolutely right about Stern and our ticking time bombs. It's nice to have someone finally address this publicly. Hopefully, we can get our machines running for a long time. I vote for Chris as Ted's permanent replacement for New Year's predictions. By the way, I voted for you on the first day of Twippy voting for best podcast. Hope you win because you deserve it. Keep up the great work. Well, Ed, thank you. I'm glad you love the Black Knight as a guest. I also enjoy him on there as well, on there, on my show. I think he's great. We will have him back on. I think most people enjoy his take. I think the node board thing threw people for a loop. I, I, I think it, it sparks debate, and I don't think, you know, that's the thing is like when you spark a debate where it, there are a, there's a lot of speculation going on and not a lot of facts you, you can just find yourself in an endless loop where there is no correct answer because we're all just giving what we think our opinions are about something we all don't fully understand. Are you confused by what I just said? Because I am, which is why we could debate it for hours on Pinside and no one would know who's right, who's wrong. All right, I got an email from Steve. Steve writes, 
Canada, great show again. Thank you. My only request is to get your thoughts on what was said in the interview after. I feel like there was a lot to talk about with the three guests. What did we learn? What can we speculate on? All right, so we talked about that last time, Steve. I think you're right, and we did that. I was a little unsure who the Black Knight guy was in relation to the industry, but the Stern topic was bombshell-like, planned obsolescence. I really wouldn't put it past them. Let's be real. The company is about money, not pinball, period. The only reason they are pushing up quality is the competition is forcing them to, and that is Steve. Steve, I wanted to say something. If you think Stern Pinball is about money and not pinball, I think you're 100% wrong. I, 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 they're, they're not a hedge fund. They're not an investment bank. They are a pinball manufacturing company. They are a manufacturing company that makes pinball, and they want to manufacture pinball to make a profit But I guarantee you, if you went into Stern Pinball and you talk to people there, what they're passionate about and what drives them is pinball. Now, there is a reality that is financial for all of those people who love pinball that is you need to make a game at a certain price to stay in business. And each designer is given a budget by which they need to hit that budget to make their game. But do not for a minute think Stern is just doing this for money. Now, look, there may be a few people at the top of Stern, the investors, who are all about the money and may not give two shits about pinball but see the potential to make money in pinball. I also highly doubt that because I don't think anyone who wants to invest in in a company uh, that is manufacturing pinball could care less about pinball because you could invest your money in so many other areas that would be easier probably to get you a return. For example, Jersey Jack's billionaire angel investor, once you have that kind of capital, that guy could open up 10 Holiday Inn Expresses and make way more money than Jersey Jack pinball. But when you open up 10 Holiday Inn Expresses, by the way, each one would probably cost like eight or $10 million. When you open up 10 of them, Guess what you don't get? New pinball in the world. And guess what that guy loves? Pinball. So that's why he did what he did. And I would assume that the investors that are in bed with Gary, they also love and appreciate putting pinball into the world. So I think you're wrong there, man. I I don't think, I think it's easy to take cheap shots at Stern and call them all sorts of names, but I do think the passion exists. I think it exists in George Gomez. I think it exists in the designers over there. And I think they're under pressure to stay afloat. I think if you knew how hard it is to ship 10,000 pinball machines a year and stay in business and have 200 people on the line and have all these designers, you know, and, you know, facilitate tournaments and go to shows, it's, it's, it's comical. Sometimes I think how people oversimplify all that Stern has to do to remain viable and feasible and profitable, and yet how quickly people are to insult them, tear them down, and make fun of them. Do I think Stern is making the best, most magical pinball machines right now? I do. Do I think, Here's the, but here's the thing, do I think they are making games that are as magical as they could be or as like impressive from a mechanical standpoint as what we saw in the 90s? I don't. 
and that's how I feel. And but I think they found new ways to bring the theme integration into pinball that are much cheaper than mechanical ways. And I'm not a fan of that. I know most of you are not a fan of that, but can you can you really knock them for that? Because they did what they needed to do to to be where they are. And I'm I'm sorry, but you know, I I mean that's a little bit of a shill stern period, but no, it's just like I I still think that they get sometimes beat up too much. All right, I got an email from Tim. He says, ARA. Hi, Chris. Just listening and ARA is in the Netherlands, not Sweden. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. I'm always wrong on my geography. You could spin a globe and ask me to, you know, if I stop my finger on a country, there's probably like a 75% chance I couldn't name you what country it is. I'm sorry. How many of you could do that, right? When we're kids, like we learn stuff like that, but I probably couldn't even look at a map of Europe and get like 50% of it right. Is that me just admitting that I don't, maybe 70% I could get right. All right, let's go on right now. All right, so this is an email. Got rid of Ghostbusters, now what? Hi, Chris. Thanks for your advice. It was really helpful. I played Lord of the Rings and loved it. A few days later, I had the chance to play many different games. Here are some of my thoughts. Munsters Pro. Looks very nice. Superb artwork. Feels better quality-wise than some other recent Stern releases. It shoots really good. However, I think it's way too simple for my taste. After a few plays, all reached Munster Madness mode easily. I don't know how much the mini playfield adds to the game. Probably not too much. So after five to six plays, I got bored and walked away. I think it's a great location pin. I know this won't last long for me. The Hobbit, what a beautiful game. It's quality all over. The light show is stunning. I was really excited to play, but I thought playing it was boring. I mean, interesting from a rules software point of view, but the ball just floats up and down. Felt more like a game from the 70s. I told my friend, whatever I buy, it won't be The Hobbit. Dialed in. Looks great, plays great. It's just not a world I want to get immersed in. Beatles. Looks beautiful, plays very well. Very nice, but way too expensive. For half the price, it would be perfect birthday gift for my dad. And then I played Pirates of the Caribbean. Man, that game is a blast. Everything about it is beyond everything I have ever seen. Luckily, I was able to play it in a separate room. Like this, I heard all the sound effects and music. The sound effects are from another planet. It's like music made with sound effects. The orchestral soundtrack is superb. The light show is killer. It really sets the mood. I had no clue what to shoot for, but had so much fun. It's fast like a normal body. It has an incredible amount of little details. I managed to shoot the cannon and couldn't stop grinning. That was so cool. The next day, I ordered my Pirates of the Caribbean LE. End of story. I hope you make it again as best podcast. You sure have my vote. Cheers, Philip or Philippe or Philip. Okay, Philip, thank you so much. I'm going to end on this email tonight because I think you sort of captured so much of so of all the games we've been talking about lately. And you ended buying a game that I have not recommended on this show. You have bought a game that I've told people I think is too complex, that I that I think doesn't have that much magical stuff to shoot for, that is based on a theme that I don't think is relevant or popular anymore. And I love that you bought the game because you bought the game that you had fun with. You bought the game 
that you love to shoot. And that is the only thing that will ever matter in this hobby. It is the only thing that should ever make you buy a pinball machine that goes into your house. It's the only reason why when you're in a barcade or in any sort of environment where there's a lot of pins lined up, you're gonna go to the game that you enjoy. And maybe the thing about pinball that's always tricky is you know depending on the day, you might want a different kind of ex- experience, right? Because it's funny to me that you said Munsters shot really well, but you thought it was too shallow and too easy. And even though you didn't know what you were doing in Pirates, you had more fun and you thought it was the game for you, right? So you weren't really experiencing the code, but you you must know the code is deep and there's a lot to, to learn there. And, and when you have it, um, Pirates will not be a game that will ever be considered shallow and easy and you're getting to stuff super quickly. In fact, I've been reading in the Pirates thread, people are a little nervous that the game is too hard and that their loved ones uh, and, and people who are not good at pinball uh, might get bored of being frustrated trying to progress through the game. But that's besides the point. The lesson here is try everything out. Play everything you can. And when you find the game that just clicks with you, that you want to own, buy it. Enjoy it. Play it every day for the rest of your life. Life is really short. We get 365 days in a year. It's not a lot. Really, it's starting to like eat away at me a little bit lately, how fast the weeks go, how fast the days go, how fast the years go. We have so little time and we're all lucky to be in a position where we can actually apply some of that time to pinball, which is not something most people around the world uh, have the time to think about, have the time to enjoy. So on some level, we're all sort of blessed that this is something that uh, we have the time to enjoy. And so I think it's a good way to end this show. It's a good way to think about what you vote for in the Twippies. Vote for the game that you like. Vote for the thing that you think is the best. Don't worry about what everyone else thinks. You might think the Beatles artwork is the best. Vote for it. You might think it's Deadpool. You might think it's Alice Cooper's. This entire hobby, this entire hobby is one big subjective journey. This podcast gives you one person's opinion on a hobby that has thousands of collectors, thousands of tournament players, and millions of people that know what pinball is. Now, only a few thousand care enough to listen to podcasts, uh, and hopefully most of those people will show their support in the Twippies for all the people making pinball. And think about it too. There's only like, in, in all the people on planet Earth, like 9 billion plus people, How many people are actually making pinball machines? How many? Maybe what? In total, a thousand people, probably less, probably like 500 people out of nine and a half billion are actually waking up every day, working hard to make you pinball. I think that's incredible. I think sometimes, you know, we can focus on the negative, but when you start to like look at the glasses half full, we're in a hobby that should be dead, should have been dead years ago. And on this podcast, you know, I always want you to get the most for your money. I wanna push these manufacturers to make the greatest game possible. I wanna weed out the charlatans, the frauds, the hacks, the fakes, the the people that will steal your money. I don't want them to get away with it. I wanna weed out the sexist, the racist, 
the bad people out there that just think, you know, they can say whatever they want and it doesn't impact their companies. And I want you to get the best pinball machine you possibly can for the money. And that's it. That's it. That's really why we're here. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart, episode 307 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Enjoy, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Uh, I think you guys are probably one of the most entertaining and passionate groups of people out there. I wish I could do more for pinball. I really do. You know, to the guy who says, put a big Lebowski pinball machine in the Super Bowl spot, I wish. I wish I could actually come up with more pinball ideas for my clients. It's just too small. It's too niche. But I like that about it. I like that it's just this tiny little club of dudes out there that, you know, are, are screaming at the clouds that, you know, the, there's not a real bank of targets in the Lily Target Bank in Munsters. Literally, 99.9999% of people will be like, what the fuck are these guys crying about? Ladies and gentlemen, episode 307 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Have a great weekend. Yeah.